Hello, and welcome to an estranged episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinema mechanics, Brett Mosher and Travis Santana, with special guest Andrew Babone, who just landed after being mistakenly invited. Today, we'll be reviewing part two of our questionably Christmas trilogy with 1988's Die Hard. We'll jump into five-point inspection with The Shark Works Two Jobs, Every Man, I'll Kiss Your Dalmatian, Man Crush, and No Laughing Matter. But before we do, let's check in on the shop. Excuse me, pardon me. Hey, I own this shop. Coming through. Uh, Andrew, Andrew, do you copy? Did, did they say why they sh- they crashed the shop's Christmas party? Whoa, man. Sorry I'm late. What's with all the cops? I didn't think the party would get going this early. Uh, who's on the walkie-talkie? <clears throat> Apparently we got some party crashers uh, going crazy in there. A- Andrew's in there. He's trying to talk them down. Andrew's in there? This, this is our shop. Holy fuck! Give me the walkie. Andrew, do you copy? This is out of control. I've got 100 people down here. They're, they're covered in glass. Glass? Who gives a shit about glass? What the fuck is this? What are you, what are you talking about? It's it's Brett W. Mosier, co-owner and CFO. I, I'm in charge of the situation. Oh, you're, you're in charge. Well, I got some bad news for you, Brett Warner Mosher. From up here, it doesn't look like you're in charge of jack shit. Listen here, you little punk. You stand down. This is my shop. You stand down, or I'm gonna nail you, boy. I'm gonna nail your ass, believe me. Hey, you send a me jerk off. If you're not a part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Now quit being part of the fucking problem and put the other guy back on. This son of a... Hey, Andrew, it's me. I'm back. I'm back. What's going on in there? Throw a little Christmas party. Have a few laughs. I'm going in. Oh, no, no, Brett. Brett, don't, don't go in there. We don't know if, uh... Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Oh, Jesus! Brett! Brett! Andrew? Andrew, are you there? Oh, this podcast is toast! Uh, if you guys can hear me, let's, let's discuss Die Hard. A New York City cop with a chip on his shoulder lands in LA just in time to attend his estranged wife's Christmas party at the Nakatomi headquarters. While the police officer brushes shoulders with the executives that whisked away his family to the opposite coast, the festivities are commandeered by a group of terrorists with ulterior motives. Now with everyone being held hostage, New York's finest fish out of water must rise to the occasion and save as many people as he can before the band of perpetrators complete their plan. Alrighty, boys, we'll jump into five-point inspection, but you know I gotta know. What is your quick diagnostic of 1988's Die Hard? Travis, we'll start with you. Um, this is not my favorite action movie of all time, but I do think it's the most perfect action movie of all time. Uh, I know this is the questionably Christmas trilogy, I don't think there's really any question. I think this is a Christmas movie. Um, so we kind of cheated a little bit there. But yeah, I could. This might crack my top five favorite action movies. Um, but all the other movies that I would put before it have flaws. Whereas I think that this is almost. Uh, 
dare I say, a flawless action movie. And obviously it kind of changed the industry going forward. You know, the Die Hard on a Blank became a formula for movies. So um, not my favorite, but I think it might be the best. What about you guys? I I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty lockstep with you with that. I think this movie has two small flaws in it and i think they're they're pretty minor one of them i actually in doing some research i think i i agree with roger ebert and in his initial review he actually wasn't a fan of the movie when it first came out and there's reason why he didn't like the movie i agree with um but i only, I only have two problems with with the entire movie otherwise i think it is it's flawless like beginning to end it's absolutely so enjoyable it's one of those things like I forgot how much comedy was baked into this movie until I rewatched it. And I, I don't know if it's one of those because you're watching it with a more critical eye because you want to talk about stuff. It's like, oh, I forgot. Like they put quite a few both like dark kind of humor jokes, like an in Bruges style, like dark comedy, as well as just like some good slapstick and just some like, you know, uh, I almost vaudevillian like style style comedy in this. Andrew, what are your I, initial thoughts? I agree with both of you guys. It's probably also the most rewatch it might be the most rewatchable movie or one of i i mean i watch die hard at least once a year usually twice usually i watch it by myself and then i'm somewhere and somebody's playing it and probably yeah pro i mean definitely a top five action movie maybe a top three it, it's up there with like predator and first blood well what's what i think is um, interesting different about... types of action movies but hmm. yeah it's well it didn't start out as a different type of action movie that's the interesting thing is originally it was going to be one of those super, super cop type uh, movies. And the director came in and was like, I don't want to do a super cop. I want it to be an everyday man and went through and also changed it where the, the motivation for Hans Gruber, I guess the book that it's based off of, they were just terrorists. He goes, I don't want this to be a political fit. I think people will be able to identify and enjoy it more if it winds up being more they're trying to steal money or something like that. So and then I guess another thing that kind of, I think, contributed to it being less of just your generic action movie at the time is Bruce Willis was doing another movie at the same time. And I guess it was hard to schedule him. So they wound up having to kind of expand some of the other char characters like, um, Al. <laughs> Did I just steal something? <laughs> yeah. My five point is called the shark works two jobs because famously, one of the reasons I hate you, Brett. I hate you so goddamn much. <laughs> I thought uh, it was going to be about Hans Gruber's two, the two things he was doing. I have no idea what these fucking things are. Okay, let's talk about the Shark Works two jobs. That's a perfect transition to the first, yeah, the first five. Yeah, point, almost right? like we planned it out. <laughs> um, famously, Jaws, which interestingly enough, kind of created the blockbuster where I think Die Hard reinvented the blockbuster. But one of the reasons Jaws was so successful was because the shark was kept off screen. And famously, we know that wasn't by choice. It's because the shark never worked, according to Steven Spielberg. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that had Bruce Wilson, it wasn't another movie. He was still filming the show Moonlighting, Brett, with Sybil Shepherd. Ah, sorry. Yeah, it was a show. Yep. Um, but if he had had full reign to film as much as he wanted to, I wonder if this had, would have still just turned into something like Commando, where Arnold Schwarzenegger's on screen every single scene. Uh, to your point, uh, they had to really beef up the supporting cast. And I think the supporting cast is just amazing. I, I've got some of them written down and I can get into them. Uh, but yeah, I, you, you stole my thunder a little bit. But yeah, I, I love the ensemble. And I think that contributes to how funny this movie is too, as we were all commenting on. 
yeah i'm sure we'll wind up jumping around a lot of this because in terms of again some of the that's what no laughing matter is is some of the comedy in this movie so as we talk about that like i just i love the 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 terrorist or whatever you want to call him it's the, at the candy stand who's like <laughs> who's, keeps looking back and has to have the crunch bar yeah. and all that while he's supposed to be manning the door because like i mean the candy's there you gotta have it right and, and he, in that scene there's a couple other things <laughs> when the uh the swat team or whatever the the special forces team is walking through the the rose bushes and they're getting cut up by the thorns like you can see the cops like ow Ooh, like that's something you don't see in a lot of movies where they show like oh no like these are just cops and if they wind up going through the bramble guess what they're gonna get a little cut up like <laughs> i love the little the little details like that in movies uh speaking of little details i love uh how efficient this movie is like for example holly Gennaro using her maiden name is a plot device that's how they don't immediately know that she's married to john mcclain but it also is efficient in setting up that they're estranged so i, I like that shorthand um any any comments on that well and i, I also, like there is so Andrew? I was gonna, I like their relationship, how it's a little ambiguous. You know that there's something wrong, but they never quite get into all the details of it. That's a really weird scenario, right? He's coming out to New York. Are they together? Are they not together? She changed her last name, which the only weird thing about that to me was she did it because it's, she says it's a Japanese company. So um, there is what like a value on like there, there's a stigma to being a married woman that maybe you won't work as hard or something. But her Japanese boss does know that she has a husband. That's I have in my so I quite, questions. I'm like, so she yeah. did. So she doesn't use his last name, yeah. but her office is covered in pictures of her in a family family pictures in the office. Yeah. I'm like, I don't understand the dynamics there. Of, oh, wait, <laughs> what the movie does great though is it just it gives me enough information that I need without everything. I don't need to know everything about the relationship for this to be a fantastic movie. They gave me everything I needed. Their relationship is perfect. Uh, that, that, yeah, that whole story, the, the way that that worked out, it was great. That scene also does a great job of establishing, you know, John as the everyman. Like, he's flawed. Like, he comes in, his wife, estranged wife is immediately giving him compliments, like, stay with me, I want it. And he immediately starts into pecking <laughs> at her. Like, immediately yeah. decides that he's going to go at her, rather than just like, okay, let's enjoy the moment. No, 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 I've, I've decided I'm going to immediately start shit again. Like, we've barely seen each other... I've met your boss and your coworker, who's a total fucking douchebag. Uh, like John is, John is so, and it, it makes sense after you know, as you the movie kind of hints at the, you know, oh she took the job west coast, like they essentially took his family away from him. Why he would be cold to them, but at the same time, like he is just very cold to them in in her office. Is there a bigger dick move than Ellis being like, hey, show, show him the watch. Show him the watch. It's a, it's a Rolex. Which, funny enough, again, how efficient this movie is, the Rolex literally saves her life at the end of the oh, movie. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. But I just love the douchebag Ellis. Like, yeah, no, just go ahead. Go ahead. Show him the watch. I'm like, you really want to get punched in the face, Ellis. Here, you want to know the, no, the biggest dick move in this whole movie? This this is something that drives me absolutely nuts. It's in real life when it happens. It'll... It is when they're having the argument in Holly's office and the girl knocks and opens the door. That is the biggest dick move you can do. If anybody doesn't know how a knock works, you knock and then you wait. Unless your goal is to catch someone in the middle of like having an affair or whatever, or just boning like those two people that were in the office. You want to catch somebody in the toilet, somebody in the dressing room, whatever, like 
if that's your goal, fine. Yeah, you can do that little knock as Joe can open. You knock and you wait. <laughs> Maybe even follow up with a second knock. Otherwise, you're going to run into some stuff that you don't want to see. But to me, that is the biggest dick move in the movie. In the entire movie, that is the biggest dick move. That Andrew is the biggest Babone, dick move. Right there. Yes. Yep. If everything that happens in Die Hard, that is the ultimate dick move in Die Hard. Hard take. Name one thing in this movie that happens that's a bigger dick move. I did. Yeah, you got me. I don't, I don't think yeah. I have one. Yeah. Yeah, damn. I'll be. Casey didn't know. Look, I've been in this. I've been in this scenario. <laughs> Travis looks like you have something to say. Uh, no, I just is that a TJ Maxx, TJ Maxx dressing room, Travis. Thank place. you. I, I needed the clarification. Where it's just somebody is, they knock and then they try and forcibly <laughs> open the door as hard as they can. Oh, the, the only other thing the I wanted is... to mention about Ellis. Did, when he is, he takes it upon himself to negotiate with Hans Gruber, which, you know, Hans, booby. Booby. <laughs> yeah. You notice that he's drinking a Coke. Do you think that's because he asked for some Coke? Like, hey, you guys have any Coke? And they responded with Coca-Cola. I, I thought that was a great little comedic touch if you're if you're paying attention. Yeah, I totally agree. I, and I yeah. miss that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, again, perfect movie, you know? Uh, you missed a little something. <laughs> um, so, I am am very interested. We can either go into every man and just kind of talk about John McClane, uh, and I think what, you know, that archetype, how that kind of changed Hollywood. Because there, there had been other every men characters in action before this, but I think Die Hard definitely kind of revolutionized that. Or we can go into I'll Kiss Your Dalmatian, because I'm very curious to know what that is. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I want to hear about the Dalmatian. Do you know that? Do you remember that quote in the movie? No. Not offhand, no. This is the first time, first time that I've ever heard this, and I, I had to look it up to make sure that's what he said, but it is when the police are first coming, and he sees them out the window, and he's like, baby, baby, yeah, baby, come on, let's go. And he goes, yes, get over here. I'll kiss your fucking Dalmatian. <laughs> I've never heard that. I don't really know what it means. And maybe it's the wrong one to have used, but I was just going to say the script writing in this movie is just so great. Almost every single line delivered by every single person is just money in this movie. Yeah, or even the callback. I mean, I love that the even like Al Powell winds up getting resolution because you get the whole story about. I mean, we know from in Bruges, if Harry was in charge of him, Harry would have had to kill Al Powell for shooting a child. But you find out that, you know, Al Powell is basically he's decided to take a desk job because he shot a kid um, and refuses to point his gun at anybody. And at the very end, winds up having to save John by killing the, the crazy German terrorist. So I even, I like that, you know, there was, there was some growth in development for Powell as well. Uh, again, we're bouncing around. I have questions. If he's got a desk job, why is he driving a squad car? I, yeah, I don't know the, <laughs> I agree. I agree. That's why I didn't understand why it's like, Oh, we'll send a black and white. I'm like, why would he have a cop car if he's doing desk stuff? But yeah. Uh, is he redeemed at the end? Because I don't think he is. For shooting a kid? No, absolutely not. No, well, but the other thing is, is he finally takes a shot and shoots a terrorist, but then he's very close to shooting Argyle. Oh. <laughs> and McLean is like, you got to put your gun down. I'm like, it's almost like, it's almost like an alcoholic that just had his first drink again after a couple of years. <laughs> Would he have had any bullets left? Because it was a revolver. It would have been funny if he just clack, clack, click, click, you know? <laughs> but. 
But uh, yeah, that's so that now, yeah, I, I just love every single line, all the delivery, you know, like back, you know, just like back in Saigon, right? I was in junior <laughs> high, dick. The whole Johnson Johnson, Johnson thing. Johnson. Like, Brad, I know how much you love running jokes, and that is just one of my no, favorite. No, the other Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see what the Johnsons are credited as? There's no. Big Johnson and Little Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Which is which? I think Robert Dobby, the older one, uh, is Big Johnson. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And I just imagine. But I just also another. I, know, I just imagine Robert Dobby being excited about being back in Saigon. And I think of like Full Metal Jacket where they're shooting children in the rice paddies. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Big Johnson gives me big vibes of like, yeah, I killed a few kids in Vietnam and I miss it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they make the whole comment about like, yeah, we think we'll lose 20, 25 percent of the hostages. Tops. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm good with those numbers. I'm like, that's a fourth. That. That's a fourth of the hostages. Cost of I don't know business. how you write that off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're coming in with two higher gunships. <laughs> yeah. You have 12 hostages in, or 12 terrorists, which are down to seven and 30 hostages. I'm like, if you're going in there with gunships, yeah, you're probably going to kill more hostages than terrorists. Like, I don't exactly understand, but I still love it. Especially the shot of the helicopters going through downtown LA. Oh, oh my God. So is good. that a, yeah. such a great shot? Um, So while we're talking kind of about that, it, it brings me to when we're talking about the script, right? my two my two problems with this with this movie and they're they're minor so despite the fact this is about a new york city cop taking down terrorists and all of the rockets and all the bullshit that they have all right the one moment of suspension of disbelief that i can't <laughs> get past is when he when he's he's using the gun and he's crawling down into the elevator shaft and he falls into the air conditioning vent there is no fucking way. There is no way he pulls himself into that air vent. Because you have to think of how dirty and probably wet he is from all the action he's going. That vent is just the size of him. So do you can you imagine the amount of strength it would take to grip with your fingers and then pull your entire body into something that is basically the size of you? That's that's I'm just like, I just wish maybe the air vent had been bigger or something else, or he'd fallen into another like un uncompleted floor or like it's just it's such a weird thing that it's like it gives you that iconic scene of him with the lighter like i mean when people think die hard that's probably one of the most iconic scenes from the movie but i'm just like it's so crazy that like he's able to pull himself into that air vent well it's interesting you bring that up brett because apparently that scene is a little bit of a blooper Uh, i guess the stuntman was supposed to catch the first like he wasn't supposed to fall as far as he did so when you say it's unbelievable that he would be able to pull himself up, that's actually correct because the stunt man fucked the scene up and they just had to do a hard cut with him kind of like catching and climbing in and they decided to leave it in because it looked realistic. So, Yeah, I think Batirnan said that um, they kind of redid, like they kind of reworked how that scene worked just to get that shot in there the way that it was. I think yeah. he, was he was working with that... This, one of the editors or something like that, and they figured out a way to make that scene work. Make it but, kind uh, of he, work. W- he wouldn't be slippery, Brett. He's in an air vent shaft, so he's probably... Well, he's climbing in there, into it. Like, he, yeah. isn't, he isn't dried up yet. He dries up when he gets in no, there. No, but the but... second you get in there, it's like, it's immediate. Oh, I, I, I think so. Have you ever put your hands in work? the air vent? Yeah. I've never put a wet hand in an it's air like vent. It's like a reverse bidet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so is that why I always need lotion after I put my hands in front of an air fan? Yeah. <laughs> 
as opposed to a water fan or a dirt <laughs> fan i don't know it's weird that i decided to specify air fan there um now you said you had two complaints my only other, what was the other complaint besides one second of the movie I, where he you, catches an you airbag? texted the group about it and i thought it was going to come up but I, I'm, I'm getting feelings that it's not are you talking about my Dwayne favorite character? robinson yeah Dwayne. yeah so That's chief i'll tell police, you this i Dwayne said yeah, t robinson sir the, is it is he chief of police or is he like like it wasn't chief of police was Brett, it? Tread, tread lightly, Brett. Yeah, be careful what you're if doing. If you mess right with now. the bull, you're going to get the horns. <laughs> deputy chief. Here, here's deputy the problem. Chief. So, deputy chief, watch this movie with Kate. First time she'd ever watched it. The only comment she made in the entire movie was, Who Wait. is this guy? He's so fucking dumb. What did you just say? It's the first time Before Kate had that, ever seen Die Hard. I was just about to ask if you know anybody in your life who's never seen Die Hard. Kate had never this, seen Die Hard. That it's like a whole other conversation. Here's the thing, but again, it's a cultural phenom. She knew all of the like the major like lines and stuff out of it, but had never actually sat down and watched the movie in its entirety. But to that point, I do think it's, and I know he's being used for comedic relief a lot of times, but I do think they made that for his position. I think they made that character a little too dumb, and I almost wish there had just been some throwaway line about like, oh yeah, his uncle is the chief of police or some shit like something or like is you know some senator or something like that would explain why somebody that inept would be in that position i think it's just there because um it's mctiernan's way of saying that he hates authority <laughs> Could be. which is like a, a big message of his for uh, a lot of the characters in this movie like i think that's why the fbi is a total fuck up in this movie that's why the captain is but uh al sergeant al pal like one of the heroes, just a regular guy. He's, mm -hmm. you know, your regular B cop. So he, he makes it out a little bit better. Yeah. To Andrew's point, I mean, Hans Gruber is counting on the FBI cutting the back. I don't understand how that works. Like they wouldn't be able to successfully break the safe if the FBI doesn't cut the power. That didn't make much sense. Because I guess the there's a magnetic lock on it. It's some kind of like electromagnetic lock that they can't get through. But if they cut the power, it just automatically, I guess, disables it being able to, like, magnetically shut it or something. You'd think you'd have a backup generator on $600 million That's of bearer bonds. <laughs> or just in that building period would have some kind of backup generator, <laughs> at least for a couple hours. But I got to stop you, Brett. Are you telling me that you did not laugh at Dwight <laughs> T. Robinson? You, you did not? I didn't say I didn't laugh at him. I'm just saying he feels out of place in this movie. Of all the things, he just, he does not feel appropriate. Because even the FBI agents, like, you laugh at them being dickheads. Dwayne T. Robinson is just fucking inept. Like, he's just an idiot. I mean, I agree. I just, the comedic value is enough where I, I don't mind it at all. Like, when, when Al Powell points out, like, they're... They're going to shoot at the lights and then they shoot the lights out and then he just immediately parents it like, hey, they're going for the lights. I <laughs> and I mean, Andrew called it out. He's he's the he's the perfect ineffectual leader position of authority because he plays yeah. that role perfectly in the Breakfast Club. So do I just see the, the, the vice principal from Breakfast Club in this movie? Absolutely. Is he out of place? Absolutely. <laughs> Would I change a second of it? Hell no. It's completely worth it. Yeah. Another character, I won't say he's out of place, but I think is honestly my least favorite character in the entire movie and who I think is tr truly the villain of the movie is Thornburg. Uh, the reporter? The reporter. Yeah. The reporter who goes and basically, A, breaks yeah. breaks 
John's cover and then goes to his family's house, threatens the housekeeper with, what is it, um, calling border authority on her. Like, it's just, what a fucking dickhead. Yeah, the way he leans in and threatens her, I'm just like, you are in a movie full of slime balls. Like, you, if you can out slime ball Ellis, you've done something. Yeah, yep. At least Ellis has some sort of charm to him. He does? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Ellis has got charm. You don't think Ellis has got a little bit of charm? You don't think Holly Gennaro and Ellis ever hooked up, by the way? Oh, now you're asking uh, the right question. He's questions. desperately trying. Yeah, I think the way that their relationship is set, kind of when you first see them, is... There was a drunken mistake. Something so might have happened. Yeah. You don't think he's asking yeah. for the first dinner. You think he's asking to go out for like second, third, maybe even fourth dinner. I think that she made a mistake and she knows it. And uh, he he's trying to get in that that second that second wind, you know, hmm. Try to drive that wedge. He's probably the one who theory. bought her that Rolex. You have a theory? I have a theory. I think this is out there. That um, Takagi and the entire organization is probably very dirty. Yeah. He made a Pearl Harbor joke. How <laughs> He did make a Pearl Harbor joke. Apparently, so um, the logo for the company is a samurai helmet. It's pretty cool. I love the logo. I have it in my notes. I think the logo is pretty dope. <laughs> The I don't think it was the art director. I listened to the director's commentary. And he was talking with someone else who said the original logo they had to get rid of because he said it looked too much like a swastika. Oh, it's very timely now, I guess. But uh, <clears throat> it the you reason sure it wasn't I a think, throwing star. I don't I don't know what it was supposed to be, but apparently it got rejected. If you listen to director's commentary, he talks about it a little bit. But uh, I think that Takagi and the whole. Nakatomi Corporation is evil because that is a lot of money to have in bearer bonds. Do you guys know what bearer bonds are? I have some. I know I they're know. the MacGuffin of many of action movies, but I don't know what they actually are. <laughs> this is just on, I, I went down a bit as I do a big mm -hmm. wormhole of this kind of stuff on the internet. So that's all that I know. No expert, but apparently a bearer bond is basically like cash. Do they use lead ink? Is lead ink, and that's what's causing all the criminals to want it? Is because all the lead <laughs> in the bearer bonds? <laughs> This is the 80s, Brett. Height of it. Apparently, it's basically like cash. So you get a bond, but the idea behind the bearer bond is that you can't really trace who it is written to. And you can get interest on it, but you have to get coupons from whoever issued it. But with a bearer bond, whoever has it owns it. And apparently, they were phased out in the late 70s because it's pretty much only used by big criminal organizations. I'm going to guess this is a big Miami thing in the 80s was for organizations to have bearer bonds, but it was basically a way that you getting money that was kind of untraceable and then distributing it so it was untraceable. So it's kind of weird that they would just have that much money in their building in a vault. So if they... You'd at least want to keep it somewhere more safe. So if they remade this today, it would be crypto. <laughs> yeah, before maybe, the yeah. crash. Before, before the crash. crash. Yeah. Crypto, of, crypto of the 80s, yeah. Hmm. And then there's a scene where Ellis... And uh, it's when they bring in, uh, they bring McLean in, and he meets Ellis and uh, Takagi for the first time. And, you know, Ellis does his bump, and Bruce Willis says he's missing something. You know, he, he missed a little bit. Takagi clearly sees that. Yeah. You gonna let one of your higher-ups do that? This guy is, what, like the head of foreign relations or something? He gave him a warning. He goes, he's a cop. <laughs> like, 
Not only that, I think to to further your theory, when uh, Hans is talking to Ka- to Takagi, and they're talking about the bridge system in Indonesia and all that stuff, he goes, "No, no, no don't worry. This is actually going to help." I don't think he said stabilize, but basically, like, this will actually help the region. I'm like, yeah, that's some like heavy PR marketing bullshit. Like, it is clearly just a cash grab that whatever you're doing out there is not actually going to help the area. Yeah, I read an article in Forbes about it. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's... I love that. That line made me laugh, too. <laughs> when Carl looks at him like, the, the Rising Dawn? I read an article in time. <laughs> uh, but like Andrew mentioned, I think McTiernan's choice to make this apolitical was smart because you have basically German Euro trash terrorists. You know, Americans have no love for, for them. And then you have this Japanese multinational corporation that kind of gives the vibe that they're dirty. So Americans aren't going to care if, you know, Takagi gets killed. The only real American is the, in this is like the boots on the ground, you know, John McClane character. So uh, I think that's what helped it become a blockbuster is because you you don't care about German terrorists or a Japanese corporation. Yeah, McTiernan said he did that on purpose. He wanted German terrorists because no one was going to care. Um, although it is funny because... The reason that they went with the Japanese corporation was because apparently that was a thing in the 80s was um, either they thought or people were, I guess, Japanese corporations were buying up a lot of real estate and stuff in the U.S. Hmm. So I think there was like a big corporation kind of vibe to it. But again, for the average Uh, American, easy to root against. Yeah. Well, they were also enlisting a lot of children for petty thievery for some kind of black market crime. (laughs) Some street gang of sorts. Yeah, some street gangs. Um, do you guys want to talk about just John McClane and kind of the the everyman archetype that I think he kind of, I won't say pioneered, but definitely I think made mainstream. Who's our who are our other everyman action heroes? I mean, I can think of, oh shit, his name's gonna ex- uh, escape me, but uh, Big China or Big Trouble in Little China. Okay, Kurt Russell. Yeah, Kurt, yeah, Kurt Russell from that. That was definitely an everyman. Um. I mean, honestly, that's the only one that kind of comes to mind right now. But I think that there, I'm sure that there were some other like just average everyday heroes, you know, rise to the occasion. Well, I think about it time. now and it's like you can't do any sort of action movie without getting a six pack. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're trick. almost obliged to have a shirtless scene if you're a guy in an action movie. Yeah, I remember when it was well, such a big I mean, deal. Yeah, I feel like that type has kind of died out. What were you going to say, Travis? Oh, no, I was just thinking about when uh, Chris Pratt made his debut in Guardians of the Galaxy. It was a big deal to show him shirtless. Like, hey, it's not the fat guy from Parks and Rec anymore. Look, he's got abs. <laughs> he just stopped drinking beer. That's a Parks and Rec joke that I think nobody else on this <laughs> podcast will get. I got it. I got it. When that's, he's how, in the, that's how uh, they when explain they get to, When they away. go to DC, yeah. Yeah, that's how they explain <laughs> away his, his, or his fat in Parks and Rec. A lot of ways he's like, I just stopped drinking beer. I'm like, how much beer were you drinking? <laughs> <clears throat> but, yeah, so I don't know that it really did it. I was thinking about it because you hear that about Die Hard, but did it pave the way for that? I mean, maybe, maybe like Harrison Ford, Air Force One, that sort of kind of action here. I mean, that's not the Everyman is the president, but you're not a big, you're not Rambo or. Well, I wouldn't say that there were a lot of superhero flicks in like Dutch. the 90s and stuff like that. I mean, even, I mean, I'm going to bring up weird stuff like The Mask, but I mean, Stanley Ipkiss was a bank teller who became a hero because he got a, a magical mask and stuff like that. Like, okay, I, yeah, I think like there was a lot of, yeah. a lot more of it was supposed to be identifiable heroes, you know, somebody rising to the occasion or, you know, 
falling into powers as opposed to just being commando or rambo or something like that where they just they're automatically just this monster of a person yeah i mean even when you think about the the movies that this directly inspired i'm, I'm thinking of the steven seagal classic under siege uh, I guess they try to make him an everyman because while he is in the military, he's only a cook. But I'm like, you still clearly have deadly training that you utilize throughout the movie. So I don't even... Stephen Skull was so arrogant, though, that he could never just be an everyman. I've never heard that about him. <laughs> uh, well, then I think the last thing we really have to talk about in Five Point is, uh, is Man Crush. And with this one, I just wanted to ask you guys, do you think... It's strange that by the end of the movie that Sergeant Al Powell and John McClane seem to have more of an attachment to each other than John and Holly do. <laughs> like they even have that touching scene where John is like in the fireman's jacket and he looks up and there's Al Powell coming through the crowd and just standing there. They're silently gazing into each other's eyes. I mean, there's definitely a, a man crush there, right? Like there's there's a bromance budding. Is it a, um, they're both cops. Maybe there's like a brotherhood kind of thing there, you know? Maybe. I just, I'm just saying that, that there's definitely, know, yeah. by the end of the movie, I feel like those two have more of a connection than John and Holly do. And I don't know if it's just because they had more time together and what time we did have with John and Holly was them fighting in a bathroom. But it's definitely <laughs> by the end of it, you're like, maybe John should ride off into the sunset with, with, uh, with Al. It is amazing to me if you talk about the first three diehards. I think Bonnie Bedelia is technically in all three. And I'd be curious if you counted the minutes with her on screen with Bruce Willis. If through the first three movies, do you think that's less than 10 minutes? Where they share screen time? Yeah, because in Die Hard 3, I don't even know if she ever oh, appears. Yeah. She's just in a Die voice Hard on the phone. She... Die Hard 2, Ooh. I can't even remember what she's doing in that movie. And then, of course, this movie, yeah, you have them sharing some scenes at the beginning and then at the very end of the movie. I've never seen Die Hard 2. I've seen pieces of it, but I haven't seen all of it. Wow. I've seen it twice and I don't think it's very good, but it, wow. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> that's, that's why I keep hearing it's not that great. And I saw one and three when I was so young, I'm a little afraid to see two, but it's always, you know, I've always got it there. It's always like, if I want to watch a new Die Hard, I can. So Travis, have you seen all of the Die Hards? Uh, I think how many are we up to now? I don't. How many uh, were after well, Live Free four, or Die Hard? I think there's and four. There's a show. There's four, and then is there a show? And then there's the is Die Hard battery commercial. Did you watch that? Because I don't know if that's canon or not. But I did not get a chance to watch that one. No. It's only a few minutes. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, Theo comes back in it. Um, apparently he's he's in charge of of the thugs in this one. Um, it's, it's a classic. Theo and Argyle make a, make a reappearance. It's trash. I watched it right before this podcast. It's, it's, it's awful. The, the Die Hard battery commercial? Yeah, it's not good. I mean, it looks like there's a lot of production value that went into it, but it's not, it's not good, you know? I thought you were making a joke. No, no, there is a Die Hard, <laughs> Die Hard battery commercial. Which is even sadder to think about knowing that Bruce Willis was getting his lines pumped in through an earpiece for that. Uh, yeah, especially because it was in 2020. So he was definitely having it pumped in at that yeah. point. I don't know if this is a good time to bring it up, but the just talking about action movies in general, 
Yeah, go yeah. for it. Forget the format. It's just, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, you said it's in your top five. Like when when you think about the top action movies of all time, where does Die Hard fall? And what movies what movies would you put above it? Well, you know what? I'm, I'm glad you asked this, Andrew, because I actually had a little bit more to expound upon. <laughs> when I say that this is not uh, it's not my favorite action movie, but it's probably the most perfect. So I'm thinking like if I want an action movie and I'm thinking about groundbreaking visuals, I'm taking Terminator 2 over this. If you want like something 100% pure testosterone, masculinity, I'm taking McTiernan's previous effort. I'm taking Predator, which hot take when you think about it. This movie, very similar to Predator, it's kind of turns Predator on its head. In Predator, we have all these commandos who are overmatched against a single force. In this movie, you have a single force that's overmatched about with a bunch of well-armed mercenaries. Kind of turns it on its head. Uh, if you if you want something again, Brett mentioned this got some dark comedy in here. Uh, as far as a, a self loathing hero with some dark comedy, give me Lethal Weapon over this. And then if you just want kind of an action movie with like an idiosyncratic lead performance, give me Michael Bay's The Rock. So all those movies, I honestly would probably take over Die Hard, as hot a take as that might be. As movies in general, or as better action movies? Uh, better action movies. What about any of the Bourne movies? <sighs> See, I. You wouldn't put any of them in there? Did you say Bourne. a Bourne movie? The Bourne movies. Oh. I think those are top tier action. You would are you saying that you would take it over Die Hard? Your favorite Bourne movie? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I didn't hear Bourne get mentioned. Like I don't I don't know. I guess it, yeah, if you want to throw in like political intrigue, globe trotting, yeah, you could take the Bourne movies over Die Hard. So you have a tough time as Terminator 2, an action movie or a sci-fi movie, you combine them both. Because that's like, to me, that's might be my favorite movie of all time. It's, it's way up there. I, I 100% would consider it an action movie but I don't first know. and a sci-fi second. Yeah. We'll even do that. <clears throat> I would put First Blood above this for an action movie. First Blood and Predator to me are just like your top tiers. Is First Blood the, the first one? First Rambo. Was first that Rambo, really yeah. that action-packed, though? Oh, yeah, when he's going through the woods and everything. It's crazy. There's a huge explosion scene at the end. I mean, he's going up against the entire police force of Oregon. Yeah, it's interesting. I, don't, I haven't seen it in a long time, but for some reason, I don't consider that an action movie the way I do the rest of the Rambo franchise. It does have a very powerful ending. Yeah. St Stallone kills it at the end. It's, it's pretty great. But uh, I don't know. Now, now I kind of want to watch all these back to back. Would you put Indiana Jones as an action or action event? Like, where would you put Indiana Jones? I mean, again, I'm thinking like, it's, it's very boring, but I'm just thinking like Commando, Running Man, that, that kind of action movie. But I guess there's a lot more to it. I guess it depends. Like, yeah, if you're just talking about pure action movie, I... Yeah, Cobra. Yeah, RoboCop. Yeah, definitely RoboCop. I'd put Die Hard above. Yeah, I'd put Die Hard RoboCop, above RoboCop, 100%. Yeah. Face Off. I feel like there's a lot of newer ones I'm just missing, though. Would you put the John Wick franchise above Die Hard? Oh, excellent action movie franchise. I don't, I don't think, think I'd put it above Die Hard either. No. Okay, That's a good my, one, my last question. Die Hard or Speed? Which I know Speed does not exist without Die Hard. I mean, it is literally Die Hard on a bus. I, I'd, I'd probably go, go Die Hard, hard yeah. 
I got do yeah, die hard. I go die hard. I go die hard just because the Bruce Willis <laughs> performance is a lot more fun than no offense to Keanu Reeves, but Keanu Reeves just being Keanu Reeves. But Keanu Reeves also doesn't give off the every. I mean, he gives off an eighties. I, I don't think he gives I, off the Everman. Vibe, I was gonna say, but like he also. Has, I think Die Hard has a great villain too. I think Hans Gruber is a great villain, like especially mm-hmm. when like he counts to three and just blows. I mean, you're not expecting that in that scene. Like, I, and then when he puts on the American accent when he gets caught up there with with John, like I I think Hans Gruber is a great villain, and I think that that also tends to bring Die Hard up as you have a great hero and a great villain. What what am I a method actor, Hans? Put the gun away. <laughs> <laughs> I had heard in the scene where um, where where he becomes Bill Clay and meets meets McLean for the first time that the reason McLean knew that he was Hans was because when he gave him the cigarettes, they're German cigarettes. They're supposed to be stronger than American ones. So when he sees him not react at all, he knew that that was Hans. When I watched the scene, though, it didn't seem like that. Was the case, but that was a rumor that I'd heard. I mean, you say that, and I could see where they were planting those crumbs. If that was the case, I don't think they did enough because there's the scene when he first gets the cigarettes and he looks at them and he's kind of like, he says something about them being European or something like that. Like, he makes a point of that there's a difference in these cigarettes, and then he's only got two left and he hands it to Hans, and I think he has kind of like a weird look. But I, it's again, it's if you tell me that's what it was, I'm like, okay, I guess I could see that, like, metagaming it or going back, and now I'll always think of that when I watch it, but I did not get that from the scene watching it. I just want to put that in your head so you think about it every time Absolutely. you watch Absolutely. That and they taste like fish. Carl, is Carl too much of a liability to have on your team? No. Listen, if okay, Carl... what if, about when he chainsaws through all the alarm yeah, systems I, before I his brother is trying I think to... He's, Listen, is he a little bit of a loose cannon? Maybe. That could have that that just Maybe. sabotaged everything. You don't know everything. that. That might have had the same effect. It was just a little messier than what his brother was trying to do. We don't know what would have happened if he had just cut through It seemed like a lot of cables. It is incredible I think Carl's think. just a note. I, was saying, I just think Carl's no nonsense. What were you going to say, Travis? This was Alan Rickman's first screen performance. Yeah, it was. And he was hesitant to do it because <clears> apparently he did not want to be typecast as a villain. Which is basically what happened. <laughs> yeah, but he was really good. fucking good. <laughs> you know, he did a scene where he falls at the end, right? Oh, yeah. And they tricked him. They tricked him with the countdown. Apparently, it was the they made sure that that was the last scene that he had to shoot. Yeah, so they were supposed to let him go on. They were holding him up with a rope and then to let him go. And they were supposed to let him go on three. Um, but to make it more genuine, they let him go on two. So the look of horror on his face is pretty authentic. Yeah, I, I would love to have seen... I couldn't find anywhere behind the scenes of that because I always thought that was fake. What, when they dropped him? Yeah, I guess... They, I think he said they dropped him like 40 feet up onto, you know, one of those big mattresses or something. Yeah, something like that. Apparently, that was also a real stuntman that jumped off of Nakatomi Tower, the the one where uh, the deputy chief is like, oh, God, I hope that's not a hostage. Like, that was a real dude falling like... 20 stories again onto one of those big mats. You think he makes it? Also, one thing we haven't discussed, just the setting of this movie, Nakatomi Tower is, as much as we love John McClane in this movie, I think Nakatomi Tower is the star. And I thought it was really cool that Fox used their own building that happened to be under construction so they could kind of do whatever they wanted with it. 
Well, they also got to charge rent. Yeah, like, so they, they made money off of doing yeah. it, too. Like, it was genius, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, they got to double dip on that one. <laughs> yeah, I guess there were a bunch of law offices and stuff in the building at the time, too. So they, they kind of had to clean up and they would only shoot, I guess, at night for a lot of After it. After the complaints started rolling in. That, yeah. <laughs> but they had to be careful about all that stuff because they're like, yeah, people are still here. I can't imagine what it was like to shoot an explosion scene and stuff like that, though. It have been awesome. So. I, I took you yeah. there, right, Brett? Absolutely. I mean, you didn't take me to the top like yeah. I wanted you to, but it's fine. Like I mm-hmm. wanted to. Huh? By the time they go through the rubble, they won't know what happened. <laughs> Nobody looks for you if you think you're dead. Do you guys want to jump into some I have questions? All right. I've got a, I've got a few. I don't know. Travis, it sounds like you might have had a couple lined up. Do you have them just in your head or do you have notes or? Uh, I, I don't have too many. My big one was why after that dramatic story about Al Powell being a desk cop, is he in uniform driving around in <laughs> a squad car with the potential to run into another little kid with a laser gun? <laughs> so I'll preference all of my questions. I do not want this to deter from this movie because it's fantastic, but I still have questions. Do you think that there's an upcoming news story about all the people who were killed by stray bullets that came off the top of the Nakatomi Tower? Because they're just shooting willy-nilly up there, and those bullets don't stop once they hit the boundary. It's not a video game. They don't hit the boundary of the building and stop. So there's definitely... L.A. was just showered with bullets that night. You're in Century City. There's not too many other buildings (laughs) there. It's late at night. They say that they're the last party in the uh, building which does raise a question why does he make john mcclain go through the computer system i mean i know why i guess it's to show how high tech the place is but he could have just said oh you're looking for someone you know the last there's only one well, gathering here and it's on the 31st it's, floor just it's also to there. set the stage so that he can confront his wife about using her last, the last it's the same thing, thing yeah. with the the airplane where it's like oh when you get when you land you gotta rub your your toe make balls in the carpet like why would that help four hours seven hours later after you've landed i'm like that's just a plot (laughs) device to get his shoes off which i'm fine with but it's just like that means it doesn't do it i just wonder how many people out there are curling their (laughs) me whenever i travel does it does it help does is it a placebo or does i do it i do it in front of a mirror and i go son of of a bitch bitch. (laughs) (laughs) uh we already caught and knocked out a couple of my other ones my my last one was (laughs) the end of the movie john mcclain has been shot he's had his head put through drywall at least once uh been in many fist fights uh shards of glass have definitely penetrated his feet god only knows uh, probably the infections that he has why on god's green earth does he ride off in a limo instead of an ambulance (laughs) (laughs) Like, I get you want to have, like, him and his wife are having a nice moment, but I'm like, I feel like it could have been just as well done in the back of an ambulance. Like, it makes no fucking sense for it. It's like, okay, Argyle, take me home. I'm sure I'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah, you're not going to be able to move the next day. Because you'll be dead. (laughs) I was going to say, yeah, I want the dark ending where, you know, Holly wakes up the next morning and is is bringing breakfast in bed to John, and John's just bled out (laughs) overnight. Die Hard 2, he's got two peg legs because he lost both of his feet due to infection. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, you know what's funny though? God, yeah. If, if you want a movie in a skyscraper with a guy missing a leg, The Rock did make that movie. He did. In, so, the, in skyscraper, yeah. yeah. Oh man. I have two gun related questions. All right. The trigger One. is what you pull to make it go bang bang. With the it, the stick comes out and then the little flag that says mm-hmm. bang. Yeah. Okay. Could and maybe it's because he's a cop. Could you holster a firearm on an airplane like that? In, in 88? 88? I, maybe. With him being a cop? I don't even I don't even know if he could do that I, now. I, I don't, no, I, I I don't think he can now, even as a cop. You'd have to be an air marshal, I think. But Yeah. Which is how they would redo this today, is he would just be an air marshal, and that way he could have the gun. He's been doing this for 11 years. It's fine. <laughs> that did make me wonder how old is john mcclain in this movie am i way older than he was McClain? like there's 11 he was like years. 16 when he joined the force he was a prodigy you know <laughs> started at the bottom rose to the top made me feel a little older yeah uh yeah that was that was my one question the second one was i feel like it's a little weird that al pal shot a kid where he specifies it was a ray gun but it looked real enough it's dark man it's dark that's pretty dark, but I don't... Yeah, I would hope you have better training than a ray gun. I could understand a little cap gun. Maybe a kid unscrewed the orange on the end or something, but a ray gun that... I, in my head, I just picture, like, something out of Toy Story. <laughs> you, like, one of those real bubbly <laughs> guns that's got... It's, li- transparent, yeah, it's stuff. transparent. When you pull it, it just goes... Yeah. And lights up. Ah, I, was in a, I was in a Chuck E. Cheese. It looked real enough. Yeah, some of the deleted scenes, the backstory on Al Pal actually trained... Uh, the academy in Uvalde, Texas. So, kids are his priority as far as their safety. Little pal Junior should have been there. Well, he'd be on swings with uh, McLean's kids, and then you know they'll all die after he shoots. Do them. we ever see? Well, I guess Andrew, you haven't even seen Die Hard two. You've seen Die Hard three. Do his kids ever come back up again until they need to be played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead and who's a fucking Jai Courtney later on? Like, I don't think his kids even get mentioned in part three, do they? I don't think he gets I, mentioned I forgot all, his yeah. kids technically appear in this movie know. for a second. <clears throat> I don't think Holly Gennaro's in three at all. Just her voice on the phone at the end, because he's going to call right. her, and then he figures out, like, yeah. oh, yeah, and then the quarters, drops the yeah. phone. And it's Holly McLean at that point, please. Excuse me. Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. Respect. You know whose aunt she is, right? Uh, Tim from Jurassic Park? No, I almost want to say not far off. Uh, he is, or she is, uh, the aunt of one Macaulay Culkin and all the Macaulay Culkin. Whoa, I didn't know uh, that. Kids, I believe. Like, blood aunt or like, you know... I'm gonna double, triple check (laughs) that, but I had heard that, yeah. Um, yeah, she is their father's sister, I think. Hmm. Interesting. You think she's... That's Bredopedia, so you can't take that for the Neverland Ranch. (laughs) Just to pick up Macaulay, you know? His parents weren't available. Yep, so on IMDb. That's proof then. All right, you guys want to do some Blue Book? Absolutely. So the budget of this here flick was an estimated $28 million. What do you think it brought in U.S. and Canada? Andrew, we're going to start with you. I think I know okay. it. 
but I never know if I know worldwide or U.S. <laughs> Do you know it, Travis? Sixty-nine million. Okay, Travis is committed to sixty-nine. Uh, Eighty. Eighty. All right, or I'm I'm, I'm going to round it up here. We're going to go eighty-four million U.S. and Canada. What do you think it brought in worldwide? 120. Travis? 121. Ooh, closest without going over. Yeah. Is Travis Santana. It was 141.5 million dollars. So this I guess you could call this been a success. Which do you know bit. what Bruce Willis made for this movie? Five million dollars. Five million dollars. And apparently, yeah, that was, was a lot back then. Right? back then. Yeah. Which, do you know how mm. much Robert Downey Jr. got to play Iron Man in the first one? I'm going to say, oh, I don't know, because that was him on his reunion tour. I'm going to say it was a low number. Yeah, I would think. I'm going to go like two million. I was going to go one. $925,000. So it's incredible mm. to think yeah, that but he... in, two, what was that, 2008? Yeah, he made basically a fifth of what Bruce Willis made as a <laughs> at that time just a TV star. Now, granted, that's the problem is I think people that, that <laughs> didn't have the, the only prison know issues. Downey Jr. Yeah, if, if people only know Downey Jr. as yeah. Iron Man, that they would not be able to comprehend that. I'm like he had a career before he had to have another career. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, all right, let's do some tag and title. So this week, I actually have a lot of alternate titles for this movie. Uh, because apparently Die Hard does not translate well into foreign markets. <laughs> so uh, in Portuguese, in Brazil and Portugal, this movie was called Hard to Kill. In most Spanish pe- or Spanish demographics, it was also called Hard to Kill, with the exception of Spain, which was called Crystal Jungle. I assume that they're talking about yeah, cool the man. windows and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I can get that. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense, uh, coming off of Predator, you know. Maybe they were trying to to, to play off of that. But uh, in Finland, over my dead body, French and Italian markets, the Crystal Trap. In Greece, it was called Too Hard to Die. Russian was Toughy. And because of In Bruges, I decided to go and throw a Vietnamese in there. Uh facing challenges <laughs> was the vietnamese title for this movie i will say out of all of those perhaps die hard makes the least sense <laughs> of a movie title it is the best yeah. but i almost looked up does die hard did it actually mean something prior to this movie or did someone just come up with a crazy title if you're gonna die die hard yeah i mean quite a gamble on bruce willis and weird the title, but it worked out in both cases. Sorry. Well, even uh, Alan Rickman, too. I mean, he didn't do anything before this for no movies. That, yeah, for your two stars. Mm-hmm. What was what was McTiernan's career path like leading up to this? Uh, I just know Predator uh, right before. I, I thought that he had had some trouble, and basically Arnold kind of pulled him out of the ashes. Uh, before this... I thought Arnold liked something that he did and oh, got wow. him to he do did, Predator. And that he kinda... did the new Rollerball? Ugh. Uh, he had done the Nomads. <laughs> I guess that's what uh, Arnold saw him direct, starring Pierce Brosnan. 
Maybe. Yeah, that's literally his only other credit before Predator. But then he did the red or the hunt for Red October. You know he went to jail, right? That's where he met Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> uh, yeah, didn't he go to prison for like wiretapping people? Is that what he was guilty of? He had hired, I guess, a famous Hollywood PI because he thought that somebody from uh, Rollerball—I forgot who it was—just one of the cast, one of the crew. He basically had a PI follow one of the crew because he thought he had some ulterior motives on set or something. And it turned out that the guy that he hired was under federal investigation and he lied to an FBI agent about that. So he ended up doing, I think, a year or two in prison pretty recently and was kind of blackballed from Hollywood after that. Huh. Also, Travis did not realize he directed the Thomas Crown Affair. Oh, he sure did. And Last Action Hero. Yeah. And the 13th Warrior. And Tokyo Drift. Wait. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> yeah, he went to prison for a year on uh, April 3rd, 2013. Oh, I guess not that recently. But yeah, has not worked since uh, Basic, starring John Travolta and Sam hmm. Jackson. Think he'll make a comeback? It's the worst thing anyone in Hollywood's ever done, so probably not. That's true. I've heard no other horror stories of Hollywood. But speaking of horror, horror stories, let's get into some taglines. Boys, I'm going to give you... I've decided I'm going to give you four taglines this week just because I'm in a, a caring Christmas mood. So, one of the taglines will be an official tagline for this movie. One will be for a movie I found adjacent. And two of the taglines will be ones I have created. What I need you to do is tell me what is an official tagline for 1988's Die Hard? Are you ready? This year's Christmas is going to be a blast. 40 stories, 12 terrorists, one cop. Christmas Eve, he'll find you. And some people pick the darndest places to start a fight. Was that four? That's four this week. No, I wasn't paying attention. I figured you weren't. First, yeah. Mm-hmm. What was the last one again? Some people pick the darndest places to start a fight. I've never seen the movie, but because you referenced it earlier about the everyman shit, I'm going to say that's... Big Trouble in Little China is, because that's the stupidest tagline I've ever heard. So I know it's got to be real. So that's my mm -hmm. that's my guess for the last one. Okay. I think the first one is you, the have a blast one. This year's Christmas, you're going to have a blast, it's, or it's going to be yeah. a blast. I think that's a Brett, Brett W. motion. And I think the, okay. was it the 40 stories, 12 terrorists, one cop? Okay. That's real. That's an actual tagline. And that leaves Christmas Eve, he'll find you. Uh, so this week we have one real, one adjacent, two created by me. That's what you're trying to do. I, I'm going to say that was created by you since I threw out Little Tokyo. Or Little China. Okay. What, what is it called? 
Big trouble in there little you China. Go. Big trouble in little China. <laughs> Are we locking that in? Pretty a close. Group group vote here. I mean, Andrew, do you have an adjacent that you think he might have chosen? No, I'm terrible. I I have the utmost admiration for how well you can do these, so I'm gonna have to side with you on this. All right, Travis Santana, this might be the best you've ever done. You got all of them correct, including the adjacent title. I tipped my fucking hand uh, earlier in the episode. I was afraid that get, I did Brent. it, that's what but you I get. did it anyway. But I did it There's anyway. There's no way I would have guessed Big Trouble Little China. That's yeah. incredible. Uh, it, was, it was an everyman. It was an everyman flick. Yeah. Uh, that's incredible. You know what? Andrew too, put you on the spot with name another he everyman did. action star, and you, you only had asshole. one. You fucking asshole. <laughs> For the record, I came up with that. I did not look that up, all right? Because I don't want my credibility being shot when I do tags and titles, but that's probably why I couldn't come up with another one is I stopped there and didn't bother doing any research. Well, Travis, I, I, I put the Rolex on your wrist there, and then... <laughs> look, just show, right look just you, show him the watch. Just show him the watch. Yeah, you can show no, me the watch. Show the watch. Just show me the watch. <laughs> it's a Rolex. All right. Travis, do you have a time capsule for us this week? I do. I, I I almost blame us for choosing to do this movie. I think we killed Clarence <laughs> Gilliard Jr. Uh, R.I.P. who died, I think, last week. Um, as a kid, I loved him. He was uh, Chuck Norris's sidekick in Walker, Texas Ranger. I don't know if you guys... What made you hate him as an adult? What? What? You said you loved him as a kid. I'm just wondering what changed. Why don't you love him anymore? What happened? Was it a role he did? Is there a new story I'm unfamiliar with? Anyway. Was it a basketball commentary? You're not a Lakers fan? Uh, also, do you guys... Kareem dribbles up the court. Do you guys remember him in Top Gun? The new one? No, no. 80, 86. He's, he's the one that's given Maverick a hard time for not taking the shot. Because uh, Maverick's distraught about Goose's death. And he's like, we could have had him, man. We could have had him. And then Tom oh, Cruise no. turns around Maverick and grabs him by his jacket. And you know what he says? Brett, you're... Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. <laughs> I'll fire when I'm goddamn good and ready. Do you hear me? So, yeah, that's... What cool. was his call sign in that movie? Sundown. Sundown. Damn, Sundown. that's a good call sign, yeah, too. Yeah, that is a good yeah, one. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought he crushed this movie. Uh, I love the scene where the, it says that the police have an RV. I love that he calls it an RV. I love the RV, just <laughs> kind of the, the slow buildup of that RV driving and then trying to like drive up the stairs. They just look so goddamn incompetent. It's hilarious. But then, yeah, he's got the iconic and the quarterback is toast to keep with his, uh, his sports analogies. So yeah, again, I think that goes to the ensemble, uh, Everybody, even if it's just a few minutes of screen time, absolutely crush it, including the late, great Clarence Gilliard Jr. Rest in peace. Is that um, Ode to Joy that they keep playing, whatever that orchestra song is? Yes. Like when they open up the vault? I, his his uh, Merry Christmas there is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Just the way he delivers it, the close up of his face, the vault opens, and Ode to Joy's playing is just Merry Christmas. So perfect. <laughs> I also love, Travis, you brought it up, the ineptitude of the the tank or whatever you want to call it that they brought in. 
<laughs> when it gets stuck on the bushes <laughs> it's like somebody playing gta it's like what the fuck like you're supposed to ram the building how to like they hadn't been shot with a rocket yet they didn't get shot with the rocket until they got the jeep stuck <laughs> you know i've got a question what do, what does it take to bring a building down i feel like a pretty risky move by bruce willis he it's must just... know demolitions pretty well because throwing all that explosives on the bottom floor seems pretty destructive. Like, you could have maybe toppled Nakatomi Plaza. You'd have to put jet fuel on the beams first. Oh, God. <laughs> no, I, I've seen the aerials of uh, the footage on, on after they shot Die Hard, and you can't see any of the shadows in, in the pictures. I don't know if that's real or not. You never know. Mm. But yeah, I, I, I agree with it. I noticed that this time through. I'm like, yeah, the, the LAPD down there dying in their little Humvee would be bad, but so would completely destructing the buildings. <laughs> I guess I never thought about this until this very minute, and I'm almost embarrassed, but is that is this supposed to be a lot of commentary on LAPD? Oh, I definitely oh, think so. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But not NYPD, all right? He's a cowboy. Yeah. Which another, I know, Brett, you, it was your least favorite character. You hate him, but uh, who is it? Uh, Dwayne. Uh, when he finds out that the FBI is there, he kind of straightens up his coat. Like, you, <laughs> yeah. you can tell that he, he hopes to ascend even higher than Deputy Chief. Doesn't, doesn't the guy with the mic go, do you want a mint? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which at that point, I can't tell if he's just a shitty right-hand man or if he's actually making fun of him in the scene. Like, the way it's still there, I'm like, I can't tell if he's a sniveling, like, that's his his boy or if he's being a dick. <laughs> Which I commend. Alrighty. I think our last segment of the show, our newest segment, Alignment. Alrighty. On a scale of 1 to 100... What would you guys rate Die Hard? One to 100. Should we write these down and then show them to you so Travis doesn't do another 2120? Mm. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But he's not. not. I've never, never been bitter about anything in my life. Especially that asshole knocking on the dressing room door. <laughs> God, again. Just wait a second. I'll, I'll go first. Um, one to 100. I'll, I'll, say, I'll match the year this came out. I'll say 88. Wow, that's okay. Andrew, what I'm, is... I'm giving it my personal rating. Mm -hmm. Your personal rating, 1 to 100. What is your personal rating? I gotta go like 94. I mean, if I'm going through every movie that I've ever seen and what are my favorites, I, Die Hard is so well, high wait, up there, 94. What would you give Heat then? Out of 100. Heat's a 100. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a one hundred and one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't even mention my heat thing about Kelso, but uh, you can mention it now if you'd like. I mean, I'll do it after the game. Okay. All right. All right. So, do you think the critic score for this is higher or lower than where you are? Uh, I'll safely say the critics are a little bit higher than me. Okay. Andrew, do you think critics are higher or lower than you at a 94? Based on what, was it Siskel, I think, that really mm -hmm. did not like this movie? Uh, Ebert. Ebert, I'm going to say lower than 94. I mean, lower? All right. 
So, Andrew, you are in perfect alignment with critics with a 94%, according to Rotten Tomatoes. Do you want to guess the audience score? Do you think you're higher or lower than general audiences? I'm lower, again, I'm sure. I think I'm... Um, I'm going to say I'm lower. You're lower? You think audience scores are higher? I think, it, I think it could be higher, yeah. So, in a chop shop first, and this segment has only existed for three episodes, Andrew, you're in perfect alignment. The Your score, the audience score, and the critic score is all 94. Wow. Yeah. It is, it is very... Are you going to mail him anything Very for seldom. This, or does he get a prize? <laughs> yeah, no, he got to be on the episode. That's what he got. got a all shirt. right. You know, maybe we'll invite you back for the Star Wars series. <clears throat> I thought I got an award. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do I have to watch Jedi Hard now? <laughs> so, did you tell Travis about that? Travis, did I, I think I told you about that. With the, the group text when we were talking and I was trying to make sure what day was good for Andrew. Yeah. I'd asked him if he was ready to watch Jedi Hard, a Star Wars story, and he thought that was an actual series, as opposed to I was making a Die Hard joke with Jedi. I mean, they are pumping out the Star Wars series, so I, I could see why one would make that mistake. Yeah, I thought it was a real series, and Brett was joking that I was going to be on. <laughs> and then later, when he was like, his next set of still okay, I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> you never sent me anything. I'm like, yeah, I did. Uh, all right, well, unless somebody has some kind of half-baked chop shop or something that you'd like to do, I think that about concludes us for this episode. Any Any final words? Uh, oh, I did have one. Story. I had one flaw in this movie. Mm -hmm. Would you say there was a fly in the ointment, a monkey in the wrench, a pain in the ass? <laughs> it, was, it was a. It was a quote from. That's what John tells Hans when he had. And what? It's Hans. Andor. Andor. Oh, episode two. two. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. I think Die Hard could be trimmed down. It is a little long. I think it's a little long. It is a little long. I think between when he, um, between when the quarterback, is, or when the quarterback is toast, you could probably trim 10 minutes in front and behind of that. It's two hours. That would be my only complaint. Is that the runtime exactly, two hours? I think it's about that. Maybe that's including credits. It is two hours and 12 minutes. Yeah, to, I agree. That's too long. That, that's all a movie? Yep. Yeah. I think you could trim out a little bit of this movie. I'm not exactly sure what, but... That 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 part of the movie, I think, kind of drags a little bit. Um. Well, if we're bringing up one thing we didn't like about the movie, this, this will be the hottest thing, and I know I'm going to get a lot of shit. I don't think Bruce Willis is very good in this movie. I think... I, Please explain. I think they really benefited from the ensemble cast and the fact that they had limited time to shoot with him. When he tries to do, and granted, he doesn't have to do it often, but when he tries to do anything but the wisecracking uh, asshole, it it never works to me. Like when he's like, you know, oh Jesus Christ, Hans, let him let him get out of there. Like anytime he's conveying anything but smarmy asshole, I, it kind of shows to me that he's still just a TV actor at this point. 
So I, I'm glad that uh, he argument was with Ho- what about an argument with Holly? Yeah, I, I, to me, he just keeps playing smarmy asshole there. Like, I just don't think he's got any range. I don't. Again, the movie doesn't require him to do much, but anytime he's trying to do anything other than wisecracking, I think he's kind of weak, especially when you're acting. Now, granted, they don't share the screen much, but Alan Rickman just blows Bruce Willis off the screen anytime they, they share a moment. I'm going to disagree with that. Two, two moments, right? Two moments. Yeah. Unless you're talking about the walkie-talkie, I guess. Yeah. Who would you replace him with? I'm, I'm, I'm with Brett. I disagree, but but I love the take. Uh, of the era, of the era. No, 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 I've got modern. one, but if they already played a similar role, can, can I excise their other roles? Like, we won't think about their other roles, just what they're doing in this movie? Mel Gibson. Mel mm-hmm. Gibson. This came out after Lethal Weapon 1, right? One so year, I guess you're, yeah, you're, you're getting rid of Lethal Weapon 1. So you're saying you would rather live in a future without Lethal Weapon 1 to get Mel Gibson in Die Hard? No, absolutely not. And there are no other lethal weapons. So don't paint me into that corner now, Andrew. No, that's not what no, I'm no, saying. No, that's because what I heard. Instead, no, that's they I, replace I heard, Mel Gibson. I heard that too. Is the problem with Steven Seagal. So Lethal Weapon 1 just that was the end of the Lethal Weapon series. Look, and he, he got it. He was he was the 80s heartthrob that had to fill in where Mel Gibson couldn't at see, that time. Here's so. the other thing. If you think about this realistically, John McClane is a fucking crazy person for even attempting to do what he does. Like, granted, yeah, his wife's there trying to save her. But nothing about that wisecracking do every man seems like he's unhinged enough to try this. You throw Mel Gibson into the role. I'm like, I believe that he's crazy enough to try to kill 12 terrorists. I don't know if I would take Mel Gibson as the smarmy asshole, though, as much. I don't know if I could take Mel Gibson as the everyman, though. Well, I, I guess if I had never seen Lethal Weapon and he's not shirtless in this movie. Yeah, but I mean, he's not a big guy by any means. He's know. got a he's physique a... that any of the three of us could, no, could aspire but... to. I, I couldn't. That hair, that hair is amazing. I mean, you you and Brett obviously have amazing hair, but I can't get mine to perm out like that. Brett, you look deep in thought. What? Or you're just, you really have I'm to I'm trying shit. to think of other, if there's anybody else around that era that... You would. That's a like, really good casting, though. Because I don't think it, I'm trying to. You know, you can't put Stallone. It's, just, or it's tough to think about a world without Lethal Weapon One. Agreed. Because that's who he's playing. That's that's the exact person that you're seeing him playing. So I'm I'm basically like getting rid of Lethal Weapon One and trying to see Die Hard. That that's pretty good. But I like Bruce Willis better. What do you think Michael Keaton, Brett? I was trying to put Harrison Ford in there, and I don't think Harrison Ford would be good. Well, let's let's round up I the think next Harrison... generic white actor. What about Kevin Costner? <laughs> <laughs> no, Kevin Costner wouldn't be good in that role either. What about the principal from The Breakfast Club? <laughs> what, did you put him in there? Wow. Bruce Willis but he's is... playing both roles still. <laughs> oh, so you got like a nutty <laughs> professor thing going on. He's wearing glasses as the police chief, though. So you can't tell. So they see the credits. Wait, so is he both characters? Like, you never see them in the same room together situation? Oh, that's a whole rewrite. Yeah, that could work. How does he get in and out of the building with no one noticing? 
It's just amazing to me that those kids in high school would disrespect him so much considering what he went through at Nakatomi Tower, you know? Like, have a little respect. <laughs> Man's basically a hero. He pointed out that they were shooting the lights out. Did they bring new lights? They must have. Brett, you want, you want another one? They got plenty of lights. You, know, you want another one, Brett? You just so bought you yourself another white one. Actor. You said generic white actor. What if you put Sam Jackson in Saturday. this? As John McClane. Uh, Sam Jackson is John McClane. Well, speaking as a Hollywood exec, then you got to replace Al Powell. We can't have two black people leading this movie. That's, that's just not going to fly. John Candy. We'll put in John Candy as Al Powell now. <laughs> I like it. You don't even have to rewrite the Twinkies bit. That's good casting, Brett. No, exactly. See, they're interchangeable. It's easy. You think Alan Rickman could play John McClane? No. He's so tricky with that accent, though. Yeah, you'd never know. Alan Rickman's too... I don't think he could play the smarmy ass. Actually, Brett, I don't know. Brett, what about Kurt Russell? Oh, I would love to see Kurt Russell as John McClane. I thought about that. I feel like there's just a little bit of seriousness. I don't know. I can, I can only see him in movies like Tango and Cash and The Thing, Big Trouble, Little China. There's well, what but about even the, something I think more? Even in the I think thing, The Thing though, is the perfect example. Yeah, I when he pours I think the, the Thing is the perfect example. The booze into the computer when he's pissed at the computer. Yeah. I think The Thing is I where don't... you can see more of his yeah. seriousness. I could, I could see a Kurt Russell. Yeah, be interesting. I always want to put Gary Oldman in a movie, but he, this, he can't. I don't think this is his role. Gary Oldman can do anything Gary Oldman wants to fucking do, all right? I think yeah. Clint Eastwood so. was the number one choice. I see, I don't think Clint Eastwood would have done as well a job. With John. It would have Yo, been, yeah, weren't there a lot of different well, weird casting owned, I think, options? I think Clint Eastwood owned the rights to the book, and finally, he was going to make the movie, and then finally like gave up on it. Yeah, and I think actually Frank Sinatra also had right of first refusal. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, he would have been like 80 been years old, so it would have been interesting to see him try to do this. But <laughs> There's your everyman, an 80-year-old going through there. And then the, the person who made the most money off this movie, you guys know who that is? Mm -mm. Sergeant Al Powell. What? Really? Interesting. As it's the movie that got him Family Matters. God damn it. Apparently, whoever did the casting for Family Matters got an early screener of Die Hard. This is from the director's commentary. Yeah. Uh, they got an early screening of Die Hard. Before Die Hard got released, they casted him as Carl Winslow. Hmm. And at least McTiernan was like, the guy is probably a gajillionaire now. Uh, yeah, well, I don't think those him. family matter residuals are, are that great. I mean, it's, it's probably still syndication. running, right? Yeah, I would assume it's running somewhere. Hmm. It's probably making good money off of it. My only heat tie-in, Travis, was there must have been a guy. If you have $600 million in Barabons, I guess, in your building... 
You don't want anybody to know about that. Somebody had to have known. There's got to be like a Kelso from Heat, some kind of, you know, your score guy that's out there. So you're, you're saying that information was just kind of LA movie, kind of just traveling through the air and somebody grabbed it. It's all out yeah. there, man. Yeah. <laughs> just got to know how to grab it. <laughs> right. You should watch that movie sometime. What is it again? Heat? It's Michael Bay's The Heat. It sounds like it's a dance movie or something like that. Starring Al Powell. All right. Maybe I'll check it out sometime. And Bobby Duvall. All righty, gents. I think we're going to call it there. Andrew, as always, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Travis, any final words for us? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. I really wanted it to be that he's the same silly son of a bitch. <laughs> Andrew, do you have the skit? <laughs> I, I didn't have this email. I, I was hoping that you would forward it. To no, that's right. why I just realized I'm like, usually we the last couple of times. I think we've copied and pasted it into the chat. I'm like, I don't think he has it. <laughs> I was uh, I, I did check earlier today. I was going to rehearse. Oh, we never do that. I think. I can copy and paste it if you want me to. But I'm only going to copy and paste Andrew's parts, so he's going to have to guess when he's supposed <laughs> to talk. You got to do the, the, this son of a, and then you hand me the walkie, Brett. Oh, I, I thought I did that, this son of a, this son of a. I just want to say thanks, and I'll kiss the fucking Dalmatian. Dalmatian.